Why don't we, uh, why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Dearly Father, O oh Lord, we thank you for calling us to your freedom. Bless us, O oh Lord, in the, the true rejoice that is found in your name. Lead us, O oh Lord, always in your peace. And Lord, this night as we have confidence in your word, uh, may we rest always um, in our identity and our status as your children. Bless us, O oh Lord, in your redemption and lead us, O oh Lord, always in your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So uh, we're on verse eight today, I believe. And uh, just to give you of chapter five, Galatians chapter five, uh, we, last week we concluded with our motif, our metaphor of, of, uh, of running the race. In Galatians 5, chapter, uh, verse 7, you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. Uh, so last week we talked, about, uh, uh, we talked about strides and pacing and how when we're running a race, when someone cuts in front of us, it definitely ruins the, the pattern, the rhythm of which we were running. And um, this stumbling or this disruption is uh, St. Paul's question in verse 7, uh, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now, when that truth is disrupted, the running is also, uh, what's it? it? It's also, the strides are also cut off as well. So that, that whole metaphor of running the race, uh, when that truth is, is twisted, that running is also affected, and ultimately the faith, right? So uh, verse 8, uh, this is where we're at this week. So if someone could read that for me, verse 8. Oh, Jan, that's right. Oh, she, oh she's got her own computer now. All right, very good. Very good. Take off your tape. Verse 8, if someone could read that for me. I got it. That kind of persuasion does not come from one who calls you. All right. So, so when we talk about the, the, the why is, why is the, the teaching of the Judaizers so persuasive? Why is, it, why is it so persuasive to the Galatians? And how can, you know, when we talk about our own human condition, um, why is their teaching so persuasive? Can anyone... Uh, you know, again, with the Judaizers, it's circumcision, it's works of the law that saves. Why is that so persuasive to the human heart or to the human fallenness of the human being? Why, why is that so persuasive? Does anyone have an idea on that? Well, it's, it's the natural human condition to assume that you have to do something to get something. Few things come for free. That's right. That's right. Um, so this, this persuasion is, uh, again, uh, not originating from God. Uh, again, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Now, what is this? Why is this so important? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Why? What does that say about our, 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 our relationship with God? How does that work? Uh, why does those words, 
from him who calls you an important indicator of how this all works, how our faith works. Um, well, it shows us that God is calling. Oh, we're almost to the Brady Bunch. Almost. We just need one more. I think my wife is coming on soon, so we'll have the Brady Bunch this week. Um, yeah, Ann B. Davis was in the corner, right? She was always in the corner. Uh -huh. Ann B. Davis. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> I forgot her name. In the What was her name? Not Shirley. It was... Uh, Alice. Uh, oh, Alice, that's right. Yes, Sam was her husband, right? Sam? Anyways, um, uh, Sam was always a gentle guy, I think, on the show. But uh, uh, so again, when we talk about who is the doer, uh, it, it is the one who calls you. We're not go ascending to the Lord. We're not going to the Lord with our works, but rather it is the Lord who calls us. Now, this is... This is very important because it indicates what? It indicates that we need to be called. And that, that act of calling is through the word. And that word is given through the Holy Spirit who, cre who creates faith in us through that very word. And there we are called into this faith, right? Uh, so when we talk about uh, the persuasiveness of man, it's reversed, it's what we do for God uh, rather than the one who calls you. And that is, again, as we look at um, the text here, uh, uh, yeah, we, we see definitely uh, who, is, who is acting here when it comes to the truth. Now, when there is false, there is that persuasion which reverses the de design to which uh, well, we have our, um, we have our identity. Um, and this is the plague that was really destroying the Galatians at this moment. Persuasiveness. And there they were turning uh, from the word of the Lord. Now, you might ask, well, what's the big deal? Right? They believe in God, right? Uh, they believe in God, right? They, they might be more legalistic, but, you know, they believe in God. What's the big deal that they want to work at it? Right? Uh, but we know that when that little bit of persuasiveness, verse 9, if someone can read that for me, what happens with that little bit? Someone can read that. Sure. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Okay. So uh, in the morning, we talked about rotten fruit. Oh, here we go. We should all sing it. Anyways, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is what happens when uh, uh, we have... Uh, 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 a rotten piece of fruit in a bag. What happens to that rotten yeah. part? It, it, started, it starts expanding to the other food, right? Like the other day, I, I was with Zoe at, at the market and I'm teaching her, you know, I'm teaching her how to kind of look out for produce and what to pick. I know it's so weird that I'm teaching her this at the store. She's like, Dad, can we just get the produce and go, please? Anyways, um, so, you know, teaching her how to like count the ounces and what's a good price and everything. But we were picking up this, these strawberries and one was really, I, you know, when I pick out strawberries, you know, I go to the store like Stater Brothers or Ralph's and I look at the bottom of the strawberry. Right? I turn them around and I see the bottom because there you'll probably find the ones that are usually prone to moldiness. Now, I found one with a lot of hair on it. And I saw it kind of 
you know, hair, molds, right? It was like white and moldy and it was, you could see it like spreading to the other strawberries, right? So I'm like, it reminded me of, of this text, a little leaven. Now the point is, is this, the leaven or that yeast is the, the picture of evil. Now, when you mix the word of God with just a little bit of your own persuasion, what happens to the whole thing? What happens? Is it still, what's the big deal? What if we just kind of flub on this and, and, and it's okay because we all believe in the same God, that whole platitude? What, what, is, what is at stake here when, when we word, just, yeah, go ahead. The word of God is corrupted. When the word of God is corrupted, Don, uh, what, what happens? What? Then it's, then it's, a false word it is it isn't the word that uh god gave it's something that's been tainted by uh by man yes uh when it's tainted by man okay for, so for example for the galatians what was their what was tainting uh the 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 work of god it was their own works now when we trust in our own works what are we not trusting anyone instantaneously so what, what what are we not trusting when we're when we're trusting our works, what are we not trusting? That grace is sufficient. That's right. We're not trusting the grace of God and Jesus Christ and the cross and the empty tomb and the promises that flow there. We're not even trusting our baptism, right? Uh, we could easily go on the path of works as if we need to attain that righteousness. And when that happens, we turn from the cross. We might not think that like, you know, verbally or mentally, but when we trust in our own works, we're not trusting in the work of Christ. And when we're not trusting in the work of Christ, uh, we're not trusting in Jesus, right? Our faith is built upon ourselves. And this is the great leaven leavens the whole lump, is that when we change the word or we add to the word or we think that our works, and in this day and age, a lot of people still think like what was plaguing in the Galatians, right? Works to be made righteous, right? Or, or when people, let's say, think that they they submit to some of the word but they they don't submit to other parts of the word and soon enough even in christianity today uh oh no longer the brady all right we're, we're bigger now we have my wife's here so that's good my wife's here that's good that's good um but uh we we have a different jesus you know if we're changing the word we're changing everything about our faith. Does that make sense? What's at stake is, you know, honestly, guys, you know, it's not, we can't just say what's the big deal when we have, uh, when we have Christians, even Christians, kind of saying that the word of God is not relevant at this time, right? That it was just relevant then or some of the parts you know, we omit them now because they're just not relevant to the culture that we live in. Uh, when we start doing that, we start believing in a different God. And when we start believing in a different God, this is where that little leaven, leaven it starts just growing like a disease, right? And it just continues to infiltrate the heart, heart and mind of that very person. So a lot is at stake. We, we can't just rest on platitudes like saying, oh, they're a good person, they're, they're well-hearted, or they're good-hearted, and, and they mean well right? This is not the Galatians issue. 
this is not what they were dealing with. Like this wasn't their issue. Their greatest issue was they believing that their works could actually save them. And that is a lot that is at stake when we don't trust in the word of God and what it says, uh, whether it is the law and the gospel, right? So, so right here, uh, Paul is quoting 1 Corinthians 5, 6 with uh, Galatians 5, 9. And um, any deviation from the truth, right? Um, it's destruction, right? We, there's a lot at stake here. I think for our church, we talked about it at length in the morning, of how important it is to, um, to teach, right? Uh, to teach the word of God and, and to continue to teach because we very well know that uh, so easy it is to fall to false teaching that we need to be ready and equipped in that very word so that when we see this false teaching, remember the Galatians, what they learned from, they already knew the gospel from St. Paul. But yet they took a U-turn. Like, you know, that is the biggest, you know, I, we can never turn back from what we know now, right, in, in the pure gospel. There, there is nothing else. Like, if we take a U-turn back to legalism and works that save us, I, I just, I can't, I don't know about you, if you can agree with me, but no. No. <laughs> like, no, right? It's only Christ, right? Uh, and for the Galatians, they were dealing uh, with this leaven leavening the whole lump, right? And what a great uh, uh, sense of uh, error uh, and, and false teaching um, and how, how uh, the Galatians were uh, really, uh, this was what was at stake, right? This was not just a little, what's the big deal, but rather there was a lot at stake here in a sense of what this false teaching would bring them. It would bring them down to the road of destruction, right? All right. All right. Uh, verse 10. If someone could read that for me. Verse 10. I could do that. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. All right. So, the confidence in the Lord. Why, why does St. Paul have confidence in the Lord? What is that confidence in the Lord about? Uh, why do we have confidence in the Lord? I mean, I guess the next question would be, can we have confidence in anything else? True eternal confidence. Is there anything else in this world that we can have confidence in? No. No. Now, what, what is confidence anyway? What is that just basic definition of confidence? What? Comfort. Assurance. It's assurance. A. Assurance. Certainty. Right? We can bank on it. Um, it. It is utterly true. There's nothing that can change the reality of truth and that is why this objective truth is so important remember in verse what does it say verse eight right or verse uh verse seven about uh, who hindered you from obeying the truth now again this truth as we see it right here um uh, we very well know that that is where we find our confidence now saint paul he knows that apart from the lord there is no truth Right? 
that false teaching will only bear more false things. And it will not, false things will not bear any type of semblance of confidence, maybe false confidence, but at the end of the day, that brings us to great disappointment and despair, right? So he has confidence in the Lord because he knows that in the Lord, right, uh, there is, he embodies the truth. He is the truth. Uh, so, um, and, and on the flip side, we see right there, the one who's troubling you. Yeah, the false teachers, right? The Judaizers, right? Uh, we talked about earlier, pastors are called to tell, teach the truth. When we turn, when we turn God's people to false teaching, we will be judged. And that is, uh, that is very, yeah, that's, that is it. So, so the truth is, is very important to, uh, to teach and to believe because we know that the truth has set us free. Right? False things cannot set you free. You, you, they, they think that by these very works, they will assure themselves of that confidence. But what will it do? I don't know if you've ever tried to climb the mountain of righteousness, but you very well know, like a muddy mountain, you'll always fall down. And you'll always try to get yourself back up, and you'll always fall down because, well, there is no confidence in the flesh. Now, St. Paul, as we talked about last week in Philippians in our sermon uh, or in our epistle reading, Remember, he says, if there was anyone to have confidence in the flesh, it would be me, right? He, he gave us his resume of his lineage, of what he has done um, as a, you know, a well-learned uh, uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as he says, a zealot, right? Um, but what did he say? He says, all of it is for loss. I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Well, Gary, you're, I love your cat in the background. I almost thought he was climbing on your head for a second but he's not, he's on the counter. <laughs> so anyways, uh, uh, but here we see uh, the confidence in, in the truth, right? Um, <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, and the confidence in the death and resurrection of our Lord. Um, and that's what confidence is, you guys. It's outside of ourselves. It is the promise of God, okay? Um, yes, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, verse 11, verse 11, if someone could read that for me. Okay. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Period. Oh, in that case, offense of the has been abolished. Period. All right, I think I heard you, Sheldon. You said the offense of the cross has been abolished. Uh, the the offense of the cross has been removed. Now here we see. I think this is an interesting verse. Very interesting verse, the way he says it. And I think at the end of the day, as we read this verse, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision. Now, people are trying to uh, uh, put this against him because when we look at circumcision, we look at Timothy, and um, a lot of people could have uh, put this against him. Um, why am I still being persecuted? And this persecution is rooted... Um, at the end of the day, um, in the in the cross, 
the reason for the cross, for the sake of the cross, he was persecuted. That no longer is it circumcision that saves, but rather because Christ is in the picture as he preached it, many were offended by him. Now, I think when we look at this uh, verse right here, uh, Paul's point was that, uh, you know, if he was, if he was teaching uh, that circumcision was necessary for salvation, um, the Judaizers would not have persecuted him, right? That uh, because he did not preach circumcision as salvation, um, there is offense. Now, I know I, I still, I'm still like, I still look at this verse and I could read it over and over again. And it's still somewhat of a great, the wordage of it is very, very, what's the word? Uh, what's the word you guys I'm looking for? Very um, profound. But I think the bottom line here is that uh, the, the stumbling block, the scandal, the offense of the Jews uh, was the cross because he was preaching against circumcision. Now, again, the confusion is this, is that, yes, uh, when we talk about trying to put it in his face, uh, there was a time when um, there was that preaching of, of circumcision. Um, but now uh, with the case of Christ, uh, there, is that, um, there is that offense, that stumbling block. And that is the scandal of the cross. Now, I guess my question for you is, uh, why is, why is the cross scandalous? Why is the cross offensive? Why? It, affected the, it affected the Jews and the Judaizers. It affected everybody, right? Well, why, why is the cross offensive? Why, why do people look at the cross? It's the truth it and nobody wanted to hear it. It tells us we're sinners. It, okay, it tells us that we're sinners and we put Christ on the cross because of our sin. And I know I have, um, I think this was here before I came to the church here, but I know I still have it up, uh, the crucifix, uh, you know, Jesus on the cross. And, um, and, you know, when we look at this cross, uh, and we see Jesus upon that very cross, we know that he went to the cross for our sins. Now, why is that an offense? Why is that offensive to people? Why is this offensive to people? Ken, you kind of pinned it there uh, with that we're sinners. Uh, but in that line of thought, why is that offensive in a sense of why do we need the cross? Um, I guess at the end of the day, the cross is offensive because, well, it shows that we are helpless, that we are broken, and that we cannot save ourselves. And not even circumcision, right? Uh, here with Jesus Christ, the covenant of all, right? The promise. He is the Savior, the one who would save them from their sin. And he did. His empty tomb proved it. Now, this was, I think, offensive because, well, it, it not only broke down their way of salvation, right? But it ultimately shows that not only we're sinners, but it, it, it is that we need to be saved. And that is, as Don said earlier, um, we don't like that right? The persuasion is what? We do something and we merit and earn 
that salvation for ourselves. And this is the stumbling block for not only the Jews, uh, but also uh, uh, this is the stumbling block to everyone who thinks that they are good in their own righteousness, in their own self-righteousness. This cuts off everything of that whole path of legalism. Um, if you told, like, it reminds me of, like, my kids, you know, you know they're studying, they study hard. You know, they study really hard. And, um, it's, um, and uh, you know, just imagine if um, they studied all that, you know, all that time. And at the end of the day, when they were going to college, you just said, they said, oh, it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Uh, Y'all can come in, right? If you studied or not. Uh, I think, you know, for those people that studied, they'd be like, wait, that's not fair, right? We studied hard. We got, we got the GPA. We did all these things. And, you know, in the faith, I think similarly, uh, for those that worked hard for a good spiritual GPA, like, look, I've done all this all my life. And you telling me Jesus is coming now to save me from my sin. This is a scandal because, wait, I thought I had the, the resume. And that counted for something, right? Now this Jesus comes into play, and my works mean nothing for salvation? Wait, hold on. And this was the great offense, as we see St. Paul being, well, as being uh, persecuted and fought against uh, because of uh, the very offense that is of Christ. Anything outside of ourself is an offense. All world religion is within. Christ is outside coming to us. That is offensive to the humanity because humanity wants to be autonomous, independent, and, and, and wanting their own will to be done by their very works and merits and earning, justifying self in front of God. And that is not so. We can't because of our sin. Now, now verse 12, we see St. Paul's great, uh, great anger. What does he say in verse 12 right there? I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. All right. So uh, what does that mean? I mean, not, I'm not saying what does that mean, but what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, no, no, not what does that mean, but what does that mean in a sense of, Paul's tone uh, or his, what is it indicating about their false teaching? This whole emasculating, what, what is it saying about the degree, about what's at stake? Uh, is it sort of similar to what Jesus said about if your eye offends you, pluck it out, lest it cause you to be thrown, thrown into uh, hell? Something along yeah, those lines. Per, per, if you're uh, making one of these little children sin, Put a, you know, throw yourself into the sea or the lake. Yeah, yeah. Um, emasculate, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Uh, you know, Philip in the book of Acts and the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch was working close with the queen. Uh, in order for that to happen, they would emasculate themselves to, uh, yeah, they're working with the queen, right? Uh, that picture of emasculation is a picture of uh, a powerlessness, right? Of nothingness. And that's what he wishes for those who teach 
falsely uh, because he knows what's at stake. The destruction of the, 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 the false teaching um, is so grave for these Galatians that he shows the degree to which these teachers should conduct themselves, and that is to emasculate themselves. Now, this, is, uh, this shows you a picture of how dangerous their teaching is. You know, it's not what's the big deal. It's no, I wish they would emasculate themselves. I wish they would get, you know, they, they would uh, 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 get rid of themselves in a sense of becoming powerless and, and, and mute uh, with their teachings, right? Because this will destroy people. Right. So, so, you know, as we apply this in our day and age, uh, you know, sadly and tragically, even in Christianity, how false teaching has infiltrated Christianity and people will say, well, what's the big deal? It's a, it's a very big deal, right? It's a very big deal. What's at stake is this offense. Right? What's at stake is living under God's word and his promise. And, and when we start departing from his word, a little love and love is a whole lump. There we find ourselves in grave danger. And this is the reality of false teachers, right? Because they, they produce false confidence and false faith and great terror and despair, right? Um, and, and this is why the word is so, is so important. Um, the confidence in the truth, right? Everything flows from that confidence of truth. Everything flows from that confidence of truth. So uh, because this confidence is what? And I love this verse 13. If someone could read that for me. Verse 13. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. All right. So verse, verse, uh, verse 8 right? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. For you were called, verse 13, to freedom, brothers, right? Uh, we're Lutheran. Freedom is a Luthera, very close, very close. But for you were, in Greek, of course, but you were called to freedom, right? You were called to freedom. Um, that called in the Greek from Kaleo is passive. So you were called to what? You were called to freedom. Now, what are we talking about here when we speak of freedom, anyone? Is this just like, you know, is it, are we talking about just the human freedom? What, what is this freedom we're talking about here, anyone? Freedom from the law. Okay, yeah, freedom from the law in a sense of uh, being bound, right? Uh, uh, being uh, enslaved uh, by that yoke. Uh, freedom... From the from consequences sin. of sin. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how is that done? You were, you were called. Yeah, you were called to freedom. Now, someone has to call you. You're not, you're not calling them. They're calling you by the very word of God. And that very word is Jesus coming to us to be and, and set us free. So that for you were called to freedom. Um, you know, this is always, uh, I think, uh, we see uh, not only uh, verse 8 of chapter 5, but also in Galatians 1.6. It says, um, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Again, that whole idea uh, of calling, right? 
Now, when we go back to uh, chapter five here, uh, we see that um, when we speak of the freedom that we have, that freedom is in the redemption of Christ. Like Sheldon is forgiven of all his sins. Ken has the keys to eternal life. Jan and Gary, you live under the status as you're reconciled to God, right? Like you're not bound. You are free even right now as we wait for the final culmination in that not yet. But in this freedom, what does it say right there? Do we use it as an opportunity for the flesh? No. No. But rather, what do we do? But through love, serve one another. So when we look at this portrait of freedom in verse 13, is this a license to, while I'm free, I get to kind of do whatever I want, you know, the eight commandments that I like and those two that I don't like. Eight's enough. God forgives me. Let's negotiate. You know, we're all God's children here. Is that how it works? No. Um, no, right? Um, but through love, serve one another. This agape love. Serve one another. When we are free, what is that picture? And someone describe this for me. What does that picture of serving one another look like? under the freedom of Christ. Anyone? Can anyone describe that for me? I hear someone's clock. <laughs> I like that clock. But this freedom, you know, under the freedom of God and the gospel, that works are not for justification. Works aren't motivated to fulfill or uh, to earn or gain our merits in front of God. That we are free from all that, as uh, Cecily said earlier, but rather we are, we are free to love and serve our neighbor as children of God. Right? There is no ulterior motive because we already live the conquered life in Christ Jesus and his resurrection. We, we see those who are in close proximity of us, right? Your families, your friends, your neighbors, right? All these people that God has placed in your life. What a, what a freeing thing it is to know that I get to love my, and serve my neighbor because, well, I'm not under the law in a sense where I'm earning my way, but, but Christ fulfilled the law for me. And, and, and I'm free, to, as I always bring up Sheldon, to, to turn every bolt and every nut on that car and, and, and to help those that God has placed in my life, the joy and love to serve, not out of burden. For when you have burden, what do I always say? Go back to the gospel, right? Go back to the gospel. And um, because you are free. And in that victorious life, as we talked about in the sermon this evening, rejoicing in the promise of God. And this is the life of freedom, you guys. Um, do we ever, do we, do we get burdened at times? I think we all do. Um, and that, those are the moments where we repent and, 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 and look at the cross. We, we, we repent and, and we, we, we go to Christ, right? Uh, um, and we rest in the forgiveness that he gives. And in that forgiveness, remember this week, what's the question? What do I wear? Right? Then in the midst of my black, 
I usually wear my collar right here. I took it off because um, it's too hot. But uh, it, in my collar, it shows that in my sinfulness as a pastor, there um, I am the preacher of the cross. I am the preacher of Christ. Nothing of myself, but all of Christ. Right? Nothing of myself and all of Christ. And likewise, for every vocation, that is how it is as well. Right? We're, we're called to love and serve in the name of our Lord who has brought us into his marvelous light. And this light is freedom, right? So when we talk about freedom, um, it's not a license to do whatever we desire in our flesh, the opportunity, but rather in the freedom of grace. Um, as it says in Romans 6, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law? By no means. So for you guys, and I want you to kind of bring this out here, um, how are we to view works? How are we to view works? Now, I think Dave talked about this probably a month ago, if my memory is suiting me right, that works, the law is good. Works are good. Uh, and and that, that is right. But in terms of that phrase, works are good, what context are we saying that phrase, works are good? They are part of loving our neighbor. They are, they are, they are part rooted, of loving. They're rooted in, when, when Dave says works are good, that phrase is rooted in, I know my questions are so convoluted. Our love of Christ, our, our Christ in us. Yes, yes, the freedom that God has given to us, right? Uh, and, and again, if you have someone who is legalistic, that works are good becomes what? I got to do those things um, in order to cleanse my conscience and, and make sure I'm right with God, right? For us, no, it's I'm already good in front of God. The blood of Christ covers me. It's through that joy that I love and serve those around me. And trust me this, I'll tell you this. We have the freedom in Christ Jesus, but at the same time, the devil is there trying to do what? He's trying to tear us away from that very word. St. Paul dealt with a lot of struggle. We deal with a lot of spiritual affliction as well. But the great comfort is that Christ has covered each and every one of us by his work. Right? That we live in the baptismal life. And we have the true victory in Christ Jesus alone. Right? And, and this is the picture of freedom. You get up in the morning and say, boy, what is God going to do through me today? Because you are a child of God. Because you already have freedom that is given to you freely in Christ Jesus. Right? And, and this is the picture, you guys, um, of, and we'll talk about it next week, about um, the fruits, uh, the fruits of the Spirit and all these things. But uh, this freedom is so important. Understand this clearly. There is no plus one or addition to the cross. When the cross was done in the empty tomb three days later, it is finished, right? There is nothing extra, right? And we love and serve. We, yeah, we ought to. It's good, right? But again, through Christ, in the freedom that Christ has given to us already, Right? Because if it's the other way around, 
it'll inevitably become a conversation about, well, you know, I've done good. I follow the commandments and I know because of that, I'm a child of God. No, I just do these things because out of the love of Christ, I'm free to be free. Like I am free. You are free. Like, like we, our names are in the book. Our baptism shows us that. Joyous love and serving one, our neighbor. Uh, this is what a great, again, we can never marginalize the reality of the devil as well. But at the end of the day, as we hear the word and, and live in the word and meditate on God's word, there we rest in the comfort of the freedom as a Christian to love and serve wherever God has called you to be. And um, this is because we know what true freedom is. If we're stuck in the law, that work becomes very, it's like my uncle who says, oh, you Christians, you're all so tired. You know, you're all so tired. You're all so tired, working so hard, trying to keep up and all these things. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I can see where he's going with that because I get it. You know, it's easy to fall to that legalism, right? Um, and burden. But no, we're, we're not burdened. The burden has been lifted as Jesus was lifted high upon the tree. And there we have our joy. So, so remember that this day, you know, about uh, uh, the, the confidence, the running well, um, the, the truth, the objective truth of Christ, um, and also the freedom that he gives because of that objective truth, right? That, that freedom um, is in the confidence of the Lord. No other confidence can give us the true freedom that Christ gives. And there, as you close your eyes this night, I pray that you rest in this gracious reality that you live in, um, that you are free, and that you are free indeed. As we come upon um, Reformation Day in a couple weeks, John 8, we'll talk about that. Um, but um, until then, uh, dwell upon that freedom that you were called. God has called you. And what a great assurance and confidence that is. Okay, so uh, we, will, we will stop there. Um, and next week, we'll continue on uh, with verse 14 and following. Um, any, any thoughts before we close? Who are would you wear? <laughs> yes, Sheldon, you are an angel. That's right. You are an angel. You are what you wear. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, rejoice in your baptism, friends. Rejoice in it. I, I don't know, closing our, our, closing our eyes this night as we end the day, rejoicing in our baptism, I don't know other place to be. What a great freedom that is. Um, hmm. All right, let us close uh, with a word of prayer. And dearly Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for this night as you have brought us safely to this time. Bless us as we uh, end our day this day in the freedom to which you have called us. Grant us great confidence in your promises, knowing full well that we rest under the shadow of your wing. Bless each and every one of us and guide us in the confidence of your word. <clears throat> we thank you, O Lord, for calling us. 
and granting us faith in Christ Jesus. For all these things, we're thankful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.